TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Way back and gone. Touch them all. It's Touch Them All. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying Touch Them All. It is Touch Them All on Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. I'm Rami Makloff along with Manny Hill and Derek Wetmore, our Twins reporter, along for the ride as he always is. You can find his work at scorenorth.com covering the Twins. And you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. We made it very, very easy for you. It's all at S-K-O-R North or you can call the show at 651 651- 646-8255 if you want to get in on the action. Coming up on the show today at about one twenty, Derek, you had a chance to sit down with uh, Wes Johnson, the new yep. pitching coach of the Minnesota Twins. And I'm glad you did because he is a very, very interesting figure to me. And I think one of the more important figures when it comes to getting this thing right for the Minnesota yeah. Twins. Well, and a really fun conversation, too. We'll get to it. We'll get it. I'm not going to, you know spoil anything here before we do sit down and talk with him, but we taped it last week and you hit on it. He's such a central figure to this if the Twins want to turn their pitching around. Really, is. really, really elevate the water level. And if you can do that for one guy, that's huge. If you can do it for everybody in your organization, like now now you're on to something. Just tell me this. How nerdy does the conversation get? Because he's very, and this is why they brought him in, he's sort of ahead of the curve when it comes to the analytics and all the technology yeah. that goes into evaluating and coaching up pitchers in today's modern baseball. I tried to make it a little nerdy. Okay. Because I'm, I mean, you've you've been around me for long enough now, Rami. Yes. I'm a dork. And that's... <laughs> Perfectly fine. I own it. I wear it. Uh, I wear sweaters around the office. But Wes, sweaters with collars underneath. Frequently, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, Wes is this like he swims in analytics. He totally gets it. When he was at Dallas Baptist, one of his early stops as a pitching coach, he was interested in things like TrackMan and and using the technology to gain an adva- advantage by you know tracking data and saying like, okay, your spin rates down today. Why is that? Your fastball is not playing up in the zone as well as it usually does. Why is that? Let's dig into the numbers. And I'll long story short, I asked him what uh what excited you about, you know, the Twins opportunity and with this technology and stuff and you guys probably have way more resources here yeah. than you did at say Dallas Baptist, no offense, it's just a money thing. And he said yeah, but his answer was great, but he's like, yeah, we do have a lot of stuff here, but I want people to understand I'm not just Mr. Analytics. Right. I'm not just, you know, Mr. Velocity, Mr. Spin Rate, Trackman, Rapsodo machines. I, I, I know what all of this stuff is. I swim in it, but there's still this subjective element to coaching. I thought that was a really fun answer that, yeah, I, I love this stuff. And he lives and breathes it. Trust me, you talk to his pitchers. He's talking about this kind of thing all the time, but he wanted to straighten out and make sure that we all knew it's not just about numbers on a spreadsheet and plug it in and there you go. And as an analytics guy, I can still appreciate the, the, it, the answer there. I don't know about you, Derek. To me, it's irritating and a little bit sad that guys have to keep clarifying that. Yeah, because like, I've heard. I've only been I've only been in this market for about right. two months or so. I've now heard Derek Falvey, Thad Levine, Rocco Baldelli, and now Wes Johnson. All of them have to clarify. Look, just because we care about analytics doesn't mean that we're right. not that we're not still human beings who are coaching human beings. It, There's still 
still a lot of the same elements to coaching that there were yes. before. It's just now we have more information at our fingertips with which to execute. It, it. is really funny that you bring it up because if you are a dyed in the wool, you know, true blue analytics wonk. You do have to defend yourself a little bit because a lot of people, especially in this sport, I'll say, I think if you went through um, in the NBA and you're Daryl Morey, mm-hmm. you don't have to apologize for building a championship caliber team using analytics. Right. But if you're in baseball or in NFL, I've heard this is true too, where you really got to convince some people that you actually know what you're talking about when it comes to baseball. I think it's because there are these old school diehard baseball guys who are somehow convinced that if you sure. if you care about analytics and if you use it, then you're just not watching baseball. Yeah. You're only looking right. at numbers on a piece of paper or on a screen and going from there. You don't watch the game. You don't you don't talk yeah. to guys. You're I mean, going strictly by numbers. <laughs> like ten years ago, you might have said. Uh, at at a, maybe as a small college, and Wes Johnson's job is to get his his Friday starter, his Saturday starter, his Sunday starter, and then a slew of relievers. His job is to make them better. Right. That's still his job with the Twins. <laughs> his job is to take Jose Barrios, take Martin Perez, take today's starter Kyle Gibson, take Addison Reed, and make them better. He just has uh, sort of in-depth ways of doing it, and we label it with that word hashtag analytics all the time. And yeah, I laugh at it sometimes, but it is funny that they have to defend themselves against it. Wes Johnson, and you'll see in the interview, you get a sense for his personality. Kind of a goofy guy, but not like a screwball. He is a let's have fun and let's get to work. And I think that's what Twins fans are going to really like about this guy this season. And I know you wanted you wanted to talk about Eddie Rosario, and we'll we'll get to that in just one second. But since we're already down this road of of Wes Johnson and and what he's been brought here to do, and what a central figure he is to the Twins and and turning this thing around, a piece by Dan Hayes today at theAthletic.com talking about tapping into Martin Perez's athleticism and the mechanical adjustments that they've made with him that we're seeing now it's only spring training you don't want to put too much in it and you take this with a grain of salt but we're seeing a different Martin Perez than what we've seen throughout his major league career and some velocity in the 95 to 97 mile per hour range a new a new cut fastball that he's added into his repertoire and he's looking more and more like the guy that was a really highly touted prospect when he came into this league about seven, eight years ago. How much are you buying of what you're seeing from Martin Perez, and how much of it do you think goes back to Wes Johnson and and this new way of doing things with pitchers that the Twins have installed? Yeah, I buy it. It's another one. I'll raise my hand. I made fun of them when they got this guy. So I think it's like a one-year, $4 million deal. I mean, it's a shrug your shoulders move. You go, I thought, okay, eh. you signed Martin Perez. Whatever. Well, it's your point. You talk about, like, does any fan base love their fifth starter? Right. I mean, maybe outside of Cleveland, they probably do love their fifth starter, but everywhere else, you're like, ah, we could upgrade there. We could go get Dallas Keuchel and and have a better starting staff. So I made fun of them for it, just as I made fun of them last year for Anibal Sanchez and saying, well, we know his numbers aren't good, but you got to look past that. We think we can do better. And I'm thinking, well, that's kind of arrogant. <laughs> you think you could just right. take this guy and make him better? Well, sure enough, they gave him a blueprint. They, they cut him to make room. I think it was the Lance Lynn deal late in spring training, and he goes and has a good year with the Braves on their blueprint. Right. So I was, like, hesitant to rip them full on for Martin Perez, but I just thought, eh, who cares? Now it could turn out to be a really good deal for them. If this guy is legitimately 96, and I saw him hit 97 when I was down in Fort Myers on the Hammond Stadium gun, which I think pretty dead on, 
That's interesting to me. That's it's really interesting to know if you can recapture what you were as a 22 year old at like 28, 29, and you have more of that sort of pitchability. Call it call it the veteranness, whatever you want to. If he has that mental game sort of over time that he developed, and then he gets his peak stuff back through whether it's through Wes Johnson or whether we're talking changing picks, uh, pitch mixes like the cutter that you just mentioned, Rami. If they swap out some of the pitches that just were getting lit up last year right. for pitches that are untouchable, it's like it's it sounds so simple, but really in some cases it is that easy. I think that's what they're going to try to do with Perez. And if you can get him pitching like a like a three or four guy in a rotation, and you have a team option for him for seven and a half million dollars yeah. next year, you've just added a guy at a really relatively low cost for your rotation. Not only for 2019, but for 2020 as That's, well. I kind of raised my eyebrows at that. That's and I was talking with somebody with the Twins actually. That I was like, you you guys must like this guy more than we do in the media. And they say, why do you say that? Well, not only did you get him for this year on sort of a cheap deal, which those those can be had. You see good pitchers in camps on a minor league deal this year, so it's it's not impossible to get a good, competent major league arm on a one year deal to tack on that second mm-hmm. at a very affordable option. Sort of, this guy is not exactly betting on himself, and how could you based on the ERAs you look the past two, three seasons? And there's not a lot to bet on there. But the Twins went to him and said, we think you're better than this. We want to pay you, and we want it to be more than one year potentially. What do you think? And within that conversation, too, I should say this, I learned that as they, um, I was told anyways that as they made their free agent pitch, they say, hey, Martin Perez, please come pitch for us. We think you're a good pitcher. They explained some of this stuff. Hey, we want to swap out these these pitches. We think we think we could work with you. We think there's more velocity in there. Whatever their pitch was, they said, we see more behind the scenes than the numbers are showing. Come with us. Work with us. We'll make you that Martin Perez that you th- we think that you can be. And I think he was intrigued by that, and that's why you maybe take a one-year deal and an option on it, this could be a pretty good landing spot for him if it goes according to plan for the Twins. Again, Derek's conversation with pitching coach Wes Johnson, some of his tactics and techniques that he's using with guys like Martin Perez and everybody else in that Twins pitching staff. It's coming up at about 120. Like I said, you wanted to talk about Eddie Rosario today, and you make a good point, Derek, in in our conversation before the show, which is that there's a lot of talk about a lot of guys coming out of Fort Myers, Florida, and very little of that seems to be about Eddie Rosario, a guy who, I don't know if I'd put him in the same class as Martin Perez, but much in the same way that you were just saying, you know, we we might be missing out on Martin Perez and the discussions that we have in the media. They're probably looking at us and Eddie Rosario in much the same way of, why isn't this a guy who you're talking more about? Because they seem to have higher expectations for him, or at least... Have they they have more focus on Eddie Rosario than 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 the rest of us maybe do? Well, yeah, and I I look at Rosario and I say this could be one of this team's best players. I mean, in 2019 he might be. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens with Miguel Sano. We'll see what happens with Byron Buxton, Jonathan Scope. We, we've talked about a lot of these guys. We talked about Nelson Cruz, but we basically ignored Eddie Rosario. And maybe it's just because it's a known commodity. Maybe kind of like, oh yeah, Rosario. I mean, Rami, he was one of the, he was in the running for team MVP last year. And if not for a sort of crowded outfield mix in the American League, he was absolutely in the running for a spot in the All-Star game. And uh, the nod ends up going to Barrios for the Twins. Rosario doesn't make the team. But no one would have thrown a fit if Eddie Rosario made the All-Star team last year. 
And then now fast forward half a season, half a year. It's like he's sort of fallen off the the discussion. And I'm not saying that he won't be talked about. He's someone that comes up throughout the course of a spring. But I guess I'm just surprised now. I was there for almost a month at spring training, get back to Minnesota. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, we nobody's really talking too much about Eddie Rosario again, who might be their best player this year. I don't think he is uh, assured to be that, but he's on the short list of guys where if I gave you a little checklist, Rami, Manny, anybody, and just said, hey, here are the five guys that I think might be the Twins' MVP this year. He'd be on that list, and yet we're not talking about it. I think the reason is, though, is because in the Twins' best-case scenario, Eddie Rosario is not your best player. Yeah, like, that's true. If Eddie Rosario is your best player, and this is no knock on Eddie Rosario, he's a very good player, and sure. like you said last year, you very well could have made a case that he was an All-Star and should have been in the All-Star game. But even that being the case... If Eddie Rosario is the best player on your team this year, things probably aren't going the way as far as the the season as a whole and the organization as a whole sure. as the Twins and Twins fans would like to see it. I think more hinges on the Buxtons and the Sinos of the world and, and, guys. and what they can do. Yeah, the upside guys and the guys who you, you selected and have groomed to be cornerstones of this franchise. And if right. they don't do it... I mean, great that Eddie Rosario is, yeah, is a yeah. good player, but borderline you're, all star. You're still not in position to yeah. to really make a lot of noise in the That's AL Central true. and That's beyond. True. Counterpoint is that like every team needs their Eddie Rosario, right? Like, no, I the totally great agree teams with you. Aren't all built on Mookie Betts? I totally, I 100 percent right? agree with you. So it's just funny, like yeah, in in Milwaukee, you can talk about Christian Yelich and Yo uh, Locaine, but like. Do you talk about Jesus Aguilar? <laughs> He's a good player. We did quite a bit last okay, year. Okay, good. Because one of my co-hosts was infatuated with him, great. much like I am with Williams Astadia. Right, and my point is, <laughs> my point is, we should all be that not in, infatuated, but like we should be as interested in Eddie Rosario as they are in other markets about that sure. sort of third. I guess here maybe goes back to the beginning of spring training where we were talking about Max Kepler and Jorge Polanco because of their extensions. Yeah, if, if Eddie Rosario is in that extension group and he accepts a Twins offer for a long-term contract extension, of course, then we're going to talk about him. But it was just funny to me as I'm checking through the, like, my projected 25-man roster. And it's like, talked about him, spent a lot of time on Cruz, uh, CJ Crone, Jonathan Scope, Kyle Gibson even. we And Eddie Rosario is just nowhere to be found on that talker. So I wanted to correct that and make sure that we get some spring training talk about a guy who could be one of their best players. How much room do you think there is between where he is now, what we saw last season, and and what his ceiling is? I think there's still a ways to go for Rosario. And and I think he could tap that this year, yeah, because going into the All-Star break, he was looking like uh, just a monster. I mean, the problem with Rosario in the past was... He does a swing at everything. He was just a Vlad Guerrero free swinger Mm -hmm. without the same Vlad Guerrero contact. Right. And and not quite the same pop. But he's famous for, like, you know, hit a a fastball at his chin out of the park. Or then a golf one off the tops of his shoes for another home run. And that's incredible. But it's not exactly a formula for long-term success. That's That leads to a lot of strikeouts, lower on-base percentage. And that was problematic for me. Last year, Rami, he completely corrected that. It was swing at everything in the zone, do damage on pitches that you can handle, and if it's at your eyes, let it go. That's fine. Get yourself into a 2-0 count and get another pitch to do even more damage. I was really impressed with the evolution of Eddie Rosario and 
Part of the credit, I'm sure, goes to hitting coaches, uh, James Rousen and assistant hitting coach Rudy Hernandez, that they work with this guy to refine that strike zone so he's really just crushing pitches in the zone, ignoring everything else. That kind of went away for me. I, as the season sort of wore on and maybe it was the grind of it or you know maybe he's just dealing with this or that, a shoulder thing, and for whatever it was that flipped, he had a pretty bad second half. And that didn't get highlighted too much because... People stopped paying attention to the Twins on a national scene as they sort of faded from the playoff. But I still think that that player that he was in the first half can be who Eddie Rosario is. And if he taps into that, he's a guy who's getting some national shine this year as as one of the best players in the American League. That's Derek Wetmore. Find his uh, thoughts from Twin Spring Training at uh, scorenorth.com and all across our social media platforms, the Twins Minute. He has lots of Twins content for you. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch. It's all at SKOR North. Search Score North Twins wherever you download podcasts for this show and all of our Twins programming and a really exciting addition to our Twins uh, programming lineup coming up very, very soon. Stay tuned for that. And uh, if you want to, just download the Score North app. Give us a five star rating. The longer you listen, the better chance you have to win cool things. We'll hit a quick break. On the other side, that discussion that Derek had with uh, new Twins pitching coach Wes Johnson. You're listening to Touch Em All on Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. Minnesota sports junkie? Get your fix. Scorenorth.com. Celebrate everything Minnesota and run your first race of the spring with the Hot Dash 5K and 10 Mile at Boom Island on Saturday, March 23rd. You'll earn a Storm Creek long sleeve quarter zip technical pullover and finisher medal. Enjoy a steamy serving of uh, finish line hot dish and cool down with a free post-race beer. Visit tcmevents.org to register for the Hot Dash on Saturday, March 23rd. We're here with Wes Johnson, Twins pitching coach. Wes, thanks so much for taking the time to join the show today. Well, I, you know, thanks for having me. Really excited to uh, to be on the radio. Yeah, this is great. And this is your first big league camp. Come from the college ranks. I want to ask you right off the bat, do you feel like there are more, I don't want to say pressure, but more eyeballs on you as a guy jumping from Division One college pitching to now major league pitching coach? Oh, I'm sure there are, but, you know, I can't ever, you can't ever let that affect you, right? I mean, uh, a lot of people don't realize how much goes on in the SEC, from TV cameras to um, you know media requests and so forth. I mean, we have the SEC network there that's obviously only covers the, 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 that conference. So, with that being said, there there was always cameras and people sure. and uh, watching us. So for me, it doesn't bother me. You got to go out and do your job. I want. I'm trying to get a couple of people to describe you, Wes, and your role. Uh, your approach to your role, I should say. How would you put it into words? Oh, I like to have fun for starters. Um, you know, I want to come in every day. I mean, I started playing this game because it was fun when I was little and and then continue to coach it because I had fun. You know, with that being said, then, then I think after that, um, I, we're going to educate. Uh, we're especially in a, in a day and age, it's kind of funny when I first started coaching, you could be, you know, the styles were different. Yeah. And now we, we better educate because. Uh, of Twitter and different social media outlets, you know, there's a lot of information out there. So when a guy comes to ask you if he's read something on social media, if that's true or not, or if that will help him, you better be able to answer. And so for me, it's like, I love to have fun. 
Uh, but then right behind that, we've got to educate. Yeah. And, um, and we've got to be telling these guys why we're making a change if we are to them. I'm glad that you said that, Wes, because I think that the first thing that people say when you ask, well, what's Wes like? What's it like to work with them? They talk about the jokes. And you and I were just walking over. We're sitting at Hammond Stadium here in Fort Myers. We're walking over for this interview. And you walk by big Mike Pineda, who's all of six seven, yeah. and you running start jumped to the top of his outstretched arm to give him a high five and showing off your vertical skills. The first thing people say is like he let, he's he's a fun guy, he's cracking a joke. But it's not just, you know, goofy. It's it's having fun while you're working hard, it seems like anyways, from the outside looking no, in. That, that's a hundred percent. I mean, I want our guys to have fun, right? Um they st- they they're no different than me. They started playing this game for some reason because it was fun. It was sure, and I, you know, and I think that's also that's not just me. That's Rocco. Uh, Rocco has made that real evident to our staff too that we want these guys to have fun, and so that just kind of fit my personality. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm curious about the interview process. Uh, you know, the twins are in the market, and Derek Falvey, who's a couple years at the helm now, but. It's really changed in the years. I've been covering the Twins for five, six years, and uh, it's kind of staggering the, the number of changes in a good way that this, this staff and the development and all of that has undergone. What was the communication process like when you were interviewing for this job? Uh, what, what made the Twins stand out to you to even want to make a jump like this? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I've had some opportunities in the past. Um, you know, so one of the things for me to leave college – it had to be a progressive organization that I really thought was progressive, not just in the front office, but on the field as well. Sure. And with that being said, you know, the communication with Derek, I, and, I, and Derek, I think, knew that about me before the, okay. uh, you know, hearing that through different people or whatever. And so part of that communication process was um, it, it, that the interviews are always a two-way street, right? They're, they're interviewing you, and, and you should be interviewing them. And, sure. And I was trying to get a feel if I really thought we were moving in as a progressive uh, flow as what I was hearing. And uh, so communication was outstanding. Um, Thad and Derek, uh, both, you know, I felt real comfortable with them. Then I obviously started talking with Rocco quite a bit to make Mm -hmm. sure that, like I say, that we weren't just doing it in the front office. Uh, We were doing it on the field. And it became – Relevant, or it just became real clear that Rocco was wanting to move in that direction, and so that boy, that made it pretty easy. Once you once those factors line up, uh, then you're like, okay, you know what, I'll make this job. Sure, that's great. There's we could talk about any number of pitchers on your staff. We're just talking about how many guys there are in camp. We we could probably do a 15 minute conversation just on pitcher X and not even scratch the surface. So I ask you this to maybe there's a bigger picture story in here, but I was talking with Stephen Gonsalves the other day about what he calls, or maybe you coined the term, the road to 95. What does that mean? Can you share that insight yeah, with well, our listeners? You know, I, I, I've used that term for a long time because, you know, it was funny. When I first started using that term, 95 was really hard to get to. Now there's a lot of guys who throw yeah, 95, sure. right? Uh, but for Stephen, I brought it back because um, one of the things that I'm trying to uh, – help Stephen with is, is that road is very skinny and, and windy and straight uphill for him. Um, we've got to get him back to doing some things he was doing, you know, when he was in high school, for example. Okay. And, and to unlock those movement patterns and to get them back, it's hard. 
And so I told him, I said, hey, man, that road to 95 is hard, but you're, we're putting you, we're setting you on it. And you'll see that. And, yeah. and it's kind of like I told Stephen the other day, that road is windy, and, and so you're going to experience a peak, and then you're going to experience a valley. And, you know, he's going through it. He's on that. The biggest thing for Stephen is is just getting a very consistent plan, not only from a throwing bullpen stuff standpoint, but from a weight room, which sure. is huge, like Ian, our head strength coach, does a phenomenal job. Yeah. Tony Lee, our, our head trainer. I mean, those guys getting a consistent plan, not only with just me, but with those uh, people as well. And <clears throat> it's hard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and But, he, of course, he's taken to it extremely well. I'm really excited. You know, he, he hit 93 in a game. Yeah, about I, I guess, maybe two starts ago now. I can't even remember. All the days start running together. But um, and, and so, you know, it's good for him to see that. Yeah. And uh, to know that the work we've been putting in, it's paying off. Yeah. Uh, so really excited for Steve. The feedback loop starts to get a little closer and closer as Correct. you get to games. Correct. That's fun. Wes Johnson, Twins pitching coach, is our guest here on Touch Em All. I'm curious, and this is your first year in a big league uniform, big league camp, um, but one of the things that stands out to me is that we're not just we're, – we're talking about everything it's all, it's all encompassing. We're not talking about just pitch sequencing. We're not just talking about mix and usage rates and things like that. But if I understand it correctly, you also have a background in biomechanics. How, yeah. how did that develop, and how does that help you as a pitching coach? Well, I, I you know always I got to give credit to the people who helped me get into it. There was a, I was at Dallas Baptist. Our executive vice president was a man named Dr. Blair Blackburn, and he was like, "Hey, he brought this to me and and said, hey, I think you would be interested in it. We have people who can help us.'" Uh, help you learn with this, almost like taking the class and so forth. And then we uh, partnered up with uh, TMI, is a sports medicine place there in Dallas, and we started putting our guys through biomechanics. And uh, so you just start learning. And without going through that whole process, that could be a whole other segment, Yeah, that's right? probably more than 15 but, but, minutes. <laughs> right. But with, with that being said, um, the things that, that you take from biomechanics is, is – the biggest thing, I guess, I would I, I tell people all the time is you find out how different each individual really is. Yeah. Uh, so for me to teach Stephen Gonzalez Gonzalez to pitch the same way as Martin Perez is, is silly in my mind. Yeah, they're both left-handed, and so it was about 2012. Uh, we really started individualizing hmm. pitching plans, and not only plans but philosophies. Sure. Um, for example, a guy can't just not everybody needs to throw down in the zone. Or not everybody needs to have a curveball. Or not everybody needs to have just a the cl- classic straight change. Uh, we were finding out through biomechanics that the delivery, uh, and A, told us how to attack them to get them better. But then it was also telling us what they couldn't couldn't do from a stuff perspective. Okay. So I, I've, I've still said that's one of the biggest things in my development as a coach I've, I've had in my time. Okay. And how many guys, just a curious, at Dallas Baptist, how many guys on the staff? So just so you can start to get the numbers of playing oh, through that. Oh, so how many guys have I put how many guys are, No, no, how many in a given year, Wes, would you oh, work oh, with? Oh, gosh. Well, you have guys in the fall, and then by the time sure. you get to the spring, it's kind of like this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll, we'll cut down. So in the spring, you're going to have 15 arms, okay. but in the fall, you could, you'll could you have as many as 25. Yeah, sure. Okay. And then you start to zero in as yes, the rosters yes. come closer. Wes, one of the things that I had sort of heard about was your ability to, and this goes maybe even back to Dallas Baptist or at your time in Arkansas, I'm not sure, your ability to do a lot with just a little bit of tech and getting that sort of, you think of it as the 1% edge, how can I get 
an advantage over my opponent. What sort of what tech, I suppose, did you start dipping your toes in the water? And then we can even fast forward, too, and start talking about the Twins. There is a lot going on here in spring training with the Twins. Sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was introduced in the fall of 2014 to track. Or we had been really investigating TrackMan starting in about 2014. And because I knew that the biomechanics that we were getting, like I was telling you earlier, led us to a story on what to use for a guy. And so once we got TrackMan data and the fall of 2014 and then into that spring of 2015, everything started to line up to where we knew uh, a lot of what you're seeing today in baseball where this guy has ride, he, he has a, a fastball that rides. Yeah. So he needs to throw up in the zone. And then he has sink. So, you know, we always need to make sure he's down in the zone just to use basic examples. With that being said, that's where you get your 1%. You know, I, I'm always even telling our guys in here that our support staff that help us, hey, there's always another needle in the haystack, and we our job is to find it. Sure. And uh, and those are tough sometimes, but we we've got to continue to find the edge. And that's just the way my mind's always worked. I've been that that guy. I mean, you know, I'm not a very big person, so when I played sports growing up, I always had to, you know, I guess it's just kind of started being ingrained in me then. You know, I had to find the edge then. So, I um, mean, it hasn't changed. You know, you, you want to win, right? So. Uh, winning takes you finding edges to beat beat people, and that's what I love doing. Yeah, absolutely. So that's carried over. The Twins are using a lot of that stuff now to try to figure that out. I guess if if there's something, a lot of listeners of this show, Wes, are I think you know big time Twins fans, but they also are fascinated by this uh, the development of new whether it's analytics or whether it's the tech to track some of this stuff with uh, Rapsoda machines or Edgertronic or any of that stuff. I think they're really interested in that, but I guess I'd ask you that from a from a general audience perspective, what's maybe a big misconception that we have either in the media or as observers of the game that you, Wes Johnson, Twins pitching coach, would like to clarify or clear up? Um, I, I don't think I'm all data-driven. I think there's still, you know, we still have to be, there, there has to be a piece of subjectivity in, in us all. Um, you know, how's the guy stuffed that day? Um, and I think more than anything, that's, you know, you get labeled, right, and, and with things of velocity or data or whatever. But at the end of the day, I think because I do have fun, and I get to know our guys really well on a personal level. And, and then those guys will come to me and tell me things. And so I think that's that piece of subjectivity you've got to have. You know, when they come to you that day and they're like, hey, man, I don't have my breaking ball today. That's fine. We're going to be able to compete with just our fastball and changeup, for example. And we're going to find that breaking ball just maybe later in the game and in certain situations. So there's still a a piece of me that has quite a bit of subjectivity to it. That's great. Uh, Last question, we'll leave you this. Do you have a nickname? Are people calling you anything down here? Oh, man, I've got a lot of nicknames. (laughs) Come on, man. But uh, that's why I give them out, right? So, man, I've heard them all. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that would be tough. I mean... Me and Albert, Alberto Mejia, we, we go back and forth because I call him Grande Puma. And uh, so <laughs> he's Puma. called me. He comes back with Un Poquito Puma or, <laughs> or, you know, I mean, just different things. So for him, he's got some. And then uh, me and Kyle Gibson go at each other pretty good. So, uh, you know, he's skinny, so I call him Big Beef Mountain. And he calls me Death Valley. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, there's just a, it's kind of it's more on that individual basis. But, yeah, there's just a couple little uh, – 
uh, things where me and some guys go back and forth. That's pretty good. Wes, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you sitting down. All right. I appreciate it. Y'all have a great day. Of Minnesota sports, check out our package, scorenorth.com. Touch them all on Score North on 1500 and scorenorth.com. I'm Rami Makloff, Manny Hill, other side of the glass. Derek Wetmore, our Twins reporter, alongside as well. You can find all of his musings on the Twins at scorenorth.com and across our platforms at Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch. We just heard Derek's conversation with new Twins pitching coach Wes Johnson. I'm sure that'll be up shortly at the Score North Twins page. That's how you search for all of our uh, Twins programming here at Score North. And uh, like I said before the break, Derek, he's a really, really interesting guy. I, I feel like you probably could have talked to him for forty-five minutes, oh, an yeah. hour, if not more, if that was if that was not frowned upon in, yeah. in this industry. <laughs> it's funny. It was a lot of fun to do the interview, and Wes is like a hummingbird. I mean, you see him at Twin Spring training. You're hanging out at Hammond Stadium. I could be sitting way up in the press box mm-hmm. and forget about. The stature. I'm not going to make a short joke here, but you can pick out which one is Wes Johnson because during workouts he's buzzing around to every single pitcher, getting his hands on the guy's shoulder and hey, what are we working on today? And it is amazing. Uh, quick anecdote from that is like we did our interview. First of all, going into the interview, we're walking over to these picnic tables down by the bullpens and yeah. we're just going to set up the microphones. And he runs by Michael Pineda, who is all of six foot seven. Pineda reaches his right arm as high as he could in the sky. <laughs> And Wes Johnson does a running jump and gives him a high five. Did he at get the, it? He got it. Nice. At the top of his vertical, which was really interesting to me. And after the interview, I said, hey, thanks for coming on. He shook my hand. He said, thanks so much. And then he darted off and he was talking to Martin Perez not 15 seconds later. Like, there was no decompression time. There was no, oh, you know, g- good luck this season, whatever. Any of that stuff, there was... It's back to work. We do this fun little interview for 13 and a half minutes, and then I got my hands on another pitcher. We're working to make him better. That was really a – that impressed upon me that this guy is all business. And this is a guy who – I'm drawing a blank right now, but he has no major league experience, not as a pitcher, not as a coach, not not on any level. He was the Arkansas pitching coach. Before that, I think it was Dallas Baptist. May have another stop mixed in there that I'm I'm blanking on in this interview, but pulled from the college ranks and really, uh, I mean, the Milwaukee guy uh, DJ is a good example of this. Is mm-hmm. it uh, Derek Johnson? Derek Johnson, yeah, is a good He's example in Cincinnati of Cincinnati now. Yep, that's right. So somebody who came from college and I think he was like a coordinator or something. With eventually the, got he up. He was the Cubs uh, minor league pitching coordinator, and the Brewers stole him away. And okay, made a pitching coach. Well, there you go, and yeah. eventually worked his way up to the big league. Wes Johnson is the believed to be the first in history, anyway, going from the college ranks to now taking over a major league staff and never having pitched at the major league level, never having coached nothing. He's never done anything at the major league level. Yeah, I don't and, think so. Um, and if he did, I missed it. I thought it was interesting, and he said this in in Ken Rosenthal's article as well. Well, talking about guys like Wes Johnson who are making this leap into Major League Baseball that, yeah, it's it's cool and it's a great opportunity to get to the Major League level, but it's not something that he was just going to jump into. It had to be the right situation. And to me, Derek, it says a lot. Not that teams were clamoring for Wes Johnson by any means, but it says a lot to me that here's a guy who seems to be on the on the forefront of of this change in baseball and especially in the way that you evaluate and coach up pitchers and he wasn't going to go anywhere unless it was an organization that was forward thinking 
to me, it's really promising that the the Twins was a good fit for a guy who thinks that way because yeah. that's that's where this game is headed. And to me, it's it's it says a lot that he he chose the Twins of probably a handful of opportunities that he had because he felt like this was a place that understood what he was trying to do and wanted to move in that direction. That's that's a very, very positive yeah. sign in my eyes. Well, and it's good to have options. He's right. not a guy who was just going to take any job necessarily. Right. I don't know how many major league teams would have been in on him this year, but he's a guy you would think eventually could have gone, especially with the success Derek Johnson had in Milwaukee, now getting plucked to the Reds. That's a route that's going to be open to guys over the next handful of years, three, four, five years. You could see that. Um, path opening up, you know what I mean? Like guys from college uh, now seeing that there is a track record of success, being able to get other major league jobs. But for him to say during the course of that interview, yeah, like I was interviewing them throughout the process. I didn't want this to be your, yeah, your chief baseball officer is forward thinking and great, that's cool, 30 of them are, Mm -hmm. or 28 of them are, whatever it is. (laughs) He wanted the manager and the coaching staff to be forward thinking, and he didn't say this, but reading between the lines a little bit, I think they wanted people throughout the minor leagues to be involved in this. People in the coaching side of things to say, okay, look, we're not just going to talk about this in closed-door meetings with the front office. This is the kind of thing we're going to be talking about players, their spin rate, their curveball usage, things like that, that I think, anyways, my outside perception looking in, the Twins were not good enough at that a year ago. And for Wes Johnson to then say, I'm jumping into this because of this reason, I think that's really encouraging for the future of the coaching staff. And I love the the outside-the-box thinking that, that he talked about there because for so long you heard, well, a pitcher has to do this and a pitcher has to do that. Things like throwing down in the zone or your fastball you, down. You, you had to have a, a curveball or, or whatever the case might be. There were always these rules that every pitcher had to follow. And he's saying, yeah, look, no, those rules don't work for everybody. We're going to treat... Every guy is an individual and on a case by case basis and not everybody not everybody has to throw the ball down in the zone. Not everybody has to have a curveball or a changeup. Yeah. We're gonna coach to each guy's strengths and each guy's weaknesses and, and get the best out of each individual pitcher. I'm gonna get a little nerdy here on Please if do. you got a second. That's what we're here for. So spin rate, this is way, way, way oversimplified. But just as an example, if a guy has a, a fastball, four seam fastball with a high spin rate. You you could see that by looking at the side. Now, you wouldn't know exactly, is that a 2,300 RPM fastball or is it a 2,500 RPM? You can't tell the difference with the naked eye. But what you can see, Rami, and you've watched bullpens or you've watched betting practice where that fastball just rides at the top of the zone. Right. Right? It just seems to carry or almost like a rising fastball versus some other guys. If it's a lower spin forcing fastball, that's going to plate down a little bit like gravity is going to look like it takes that ball a little more they could be moving at the same velocity but that spin impacts the pitch what's fascinating to me is now we have a number to put with the name like 15 years ago you might have said that guy's that guy's got like late life he's got that giddy up on the fastball at the end it just pops right at the end as it gets onto the batter now you can say oh he's a high spin four seam guy and what's what's really interesting is they're around baseball. This is not just a twins thing by any means, but they're saying, okay, guys with high spin four seamers are going to have success upstairs. Go high with your fastball. Try to jump over their barrel because they're not going to be able to catch that high spin fastball. 
25 years ago, you might have gotten a guy like that and said, you got to get, you got to locate at the knees. You got to get that fastball down. Bury that fastball. It makes me wonder, Rami, as we learn more and more about what's successful about a pitcher's arsenal, how many guys were lost by the way of conventional wisdom that he might have just had a high spin curveball and he could have been Nolan Ryan, not not Nolan Ryan in stature, but pitched like Nolan Ryan. But because he had a system telling him, like, you got to locate at the knees, you got to pitch down, you got to pitch down, capped his potential or what his ability might have been. We might not ever know the answer, but it'd be fascinating to me to know who could have been way better if they had just understood their mix a little bit better and, and how to use it. I think doing stuff like that is exactly how you, and he talks about this as well, find that diamond in the rough. I think with, yeah. with all the information that's at a pitching coach's fingertips now, if they know how to use that information and how to digest it and how to relay it to the players right. in the right way, that it's it's easier in a sense today than it ever has been to fa- to find that diamond in the rough. And he said he considers that... A large part of his job sure. is finding those right. diamonds in the rough. And you look around baseball, and especially in, in markets like the one that the Twins operate in, and often the the unsung hero and, and the guy who's kind of the MVP of an organization is the pitching coach and the guy sure. who finds more than what you thought you had in two, three, four guys in a pitching staff, not just the starting rotation, but throughout a pitching staff, sort of taps into things and, and, and gets a level of performance out of a handful of guys in a pitching staff that not a lot of people were expecting. That's how a team like the Twins can can make that jump. Yeah, I mean, just a fun hypothetical question for you. So I think Kyle Gibson had kind of a breakout year last year. Mm-hmm. It even stretches back into 2017, his final 10, 12 starts or whatever. He was a, a better pitcher and a good pitcher. He's a mid-rotation starter in my book. Well, before that sort of quasi breakout late summer 2017 a lot of people twins fans media present company included would say like hey he's kind of a fringe rotation guy he's like a five six starter sure and on a bad team he's gonna hold down a spot and make 30 starts and on a good team he's out of options you're looking at can i use him in the bullpen or is he just done if you take a guy who is your sixth starter or whatever and you can turn him into a number three like what would you pay for that? That that takes a guy who from should be making four million bucks to a guy who's making fifteen million, and a pitching coach ain't making eleven million bucks a year. No, if you can do that for one guy, I feel like you've proven your worth. And a pitching coach's job is to do that for twenty five. Right? You right. spread that across an entire organization, not just on your major league staff, the twelve, thirteen, fifteen, twenty pitchers that are going to touch that group, but the. 50, the first 50 arms in line, guys who are going to be pitching for Cedar Rapids this year. Make that guy a little bit better. Raise his ceiling, raise his floor, give him a little higher percentage chance of making it to the big leagues. That to me is the arms race in baseball right now. Yeah, there's something to be said for acquiring talent and developing that. But like, if you can make, if you can just, this is pie in the sky, but if you can go make everybody that five to 10% better, and then you strike, like Wes said, needle in a haystack, if you get that, two out of those 50 times, all of a sudden you're like the Houston Astros and here we go off to the races going to compete for a World Series. The the part about modern pitching coaches and Wes Johnson, obviously, like I said, at the forefront of, of some of the more modern techniques in, in pitching and in, in coaching pitchers today is the use of biomechanics. And to me, Derek, not that I thought of this a long time ago, but it seems like a thing that 
should have been pretty obvious to people in the industry a long time ago how important and how useful biomechanics could be because throwing a baseball at the velocity that these guys throw a baseball at is not something the human body was meant to do. So in using biomechanics, you can find out the most effective way for these guys to do that and Going back to the conversation we had at the start of the show about Mm -hmm. Martin Perez, they found that his hip rotation and getting his direction and momentum moving towards the plate was uh, so far a a major game changer for him. And I think that, like I said, it it, it was right there in our faces all this time that biomechanics could have been a very useful tool in in coaching pitchers, not just to get the most out of them performance-wise, but to keep them healthy and and finding flaws in their delivery that that may eventually lead to injury it seems like one of the best and most obvious next steps in coaching pitchers that major league baseball has ever had i liked his answer about biomechanics that it it taught him how different everyone is it's not just here's the template this is how uh smoltz threw his fastball so like here's how you throw a fastball or this is how nolan ryan uses heater so here's what your mechanics should look like we all know that's kind of bunk that everyone's a little bit different but for him to have the evidence to say that was really fascinating to me and then also like if you have that i'm not saying they have unlocked this by any means at all like okay martin perez has popped a couple of guns in spring training great that's encouraging of course you'd rather have the 97 than not but let's not pretend like they've solved this riddle, and I don't think even the twins would pretend that. But I said for since I took this job that like the next market inefficiency, the next money ball, get top of end pitchers and get them to perform at their peak and never get hurt. And the team that figures out how to do that, and not just getting lucky, but actually figures out how to do that, they'll win multiple World Series because they'll have their aces going all year. And everybody else is going to be shuffling through the seven, eight, nine starter, not to mention the sort of just turnover nature of their bullpen, trying to just stay mm-hmm. healthy through a season. Meanwhile, team A that figures that out, whether it's a medical advancement or whatever it is, or a load management, whatever, whatever the secret formula is, that team's going to make a lot of money. And whoever cracked that code is going to be a very, very rich person. And probably if they can retain that human being in that job and keep that sort of trade secret, you're going to win multiple World Series because you're just going to be so far ahead of the rest of the rest of Major League Baseball that's trying to crack that exact same code. I'm not saying the Twins are there by any means at all, but it's a fascinating problem to dissect. And if you are the first, that's a pretty big head start on the rest of the guys. Isn't it one of those innovations, though, the use of biomechanics that now that now that it's in place like, and we oh, see it used, yeah. we're like, yeah, of course. Well, you should have done that. Like the wheel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, the thing rolls and it makes it easier to move things from point A to point B. It just makes sense. Well, and you see what Trevor Bauer has done in Cleveland, uh, Mike Clevenger, maybe to a lesser extent, but still to an impressive extent. Pitcher breakouts sort of out of nowhere are a huge game changer for an organization right. that you can say, okay, now we don't have like two or three pitchers we like and want throwing in October. We have seven of them and good luck. Almost, this series. almost any time that you see a team take that big next step, and especially if it's an unexpected team take that big next step. Yeah. You look at you look at their development and what got them there, and almost every time that you see a case like that, you can point to a pitcher on the roster and go, "That's a guy who they were not expecting." That the from. Brewers, yep, Milwaukee Brewers yep. are Exhibit A recently, right? Hey, we didn't think this was going to be a great team, good team, not great team, 
and they got within a game of the World Series. Justin Verlander was a guy who people thought was at the end of his at the end That's of right. his rope, and he got to Houston, and they're using a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here with Wes Johnson. They were like, yeah. "We think if you change A, B, and C, you can be effective again." And now he's an ace, he's and they got a ring, and they got a ring. <laughs> it's it's a pretty simple formula, right? Yes, it is. Here, uh, Derek's <laughs> full interview with Wes Johnson, and this entire episode of Touch 'Em All at ScoreNorth.com. Or search Score North Twins wherever you download podcast. And find his work at scorenorth.com. For Manny, Derek, I'm Rami saying thanks. We'll talk to you next time on Touch Em All.